Father, we do continue to say holy, holy, holy and blessed Trinity. Thank you that you have revealed yourself and that you are three persons, one God. Lord, you are one what and three who's. And we praise you that we get to know the baby Jesus this season and not just the baby, but the grown man who suffered and died on a cross, a tree for our sins. Thank you for uh, putting to death all things evil in him and raising him to walk in the newness of life as he was the first fruit, so too shall we be. And I pray that our lives would also uh, follow after his, not that we are the savior, but that we are his saved and that we would um, rise in like manner in the newness of life. Lord, we pray this morning as we worship Jesus and we thank you for children and Christmas and family that you would draw us closer to you, that uh, this time together in Ecclesiastes and your word uh, would reveal more of who you are and cause us to love you more and as a result be more dedicated and devoted to you and serve you better as well. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. Thank you, Shine. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Midland Free, for being here today. Um, This opening image or intro may sound a bit archaic to some of you. And to those who to whom it does not sound archaic, you will have never heard it before. So here's, here's how I came to understand this morning's sermon. And it is in these two words, which are leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. Now, to those of you who this sounds archaic, you know what I'm talking about. It's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, describing the marriage of Adam and Eve. And God uh, explains it by saying, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Now, that leave and cleave, that's in the old King James, I think the... ESV or modern translations may say something like, for example, they'll say um, hold fast to instead of cleave. But this word cleave occurs throughout the Old Testament. And it's interesting to see how it works because it's not just an Old Testament concept. It flows into the new as well. And as a result, what you realize is this marriage picture this image of male and female is a big picture of God's redemptive purposes for all of mankind it is the gospel as image bearers we represent who God is the redeemer and savior of the world now I know that's kind of big in theology and stuff but I'll unpack it here in just a second but Here's the point. If if you can just come away from today with these two words, leave and cleave, you will be well down the path to understanding how to live life and live it really, really well, according to God. Leave and cleave. Now, when Robin and I, my wife, we started out in marital counseling, we had one of these old school pastors who even used a KJV Bible, King James, like 
you know, Shakespearean Bible. And that was the structure of his whole premarital counseling was like leave and cleave. And what he's explaining to us is like leave, you know, like you're part of these two family units. And when you get married, there is naturally going to have to be a sense in which you leave those two families. Kiddos, you're on the front row and you're probably not thinking about that at all. You may think girls yuck or you may think girls yum or you may think whatever. But listen, at some point in your life, hopefully if things go well, you will leave your parents. Step one is to leave. Is everybody clear on that? We agree with that? At some point you need to leave. We love you, but get out. Exactly right. No, it's a nice way. You know, you got to spread your wings. You got to fly. You got to soar. Mom and dad want to see you do well, and you can't be dependent upon them forever. You need to be able to function on your own. You need to leave. But if it so happens that the Lord has designed marriage for you, and you encounter someone who God has intended for you to spend the rest of your life with, then at that point you're going to cleave. And that old family unit that you had with mom and dad or whoever, that's going to have to change. And in many ways you have to leave it behind and you form this new family unit. And so too with your spouse, they're going to have to do the exact same thing. And listen, I see there's a lot of families here and this is Christmas time. We've got beautiful kiddos up on the stage. And if you're like us, you're probably thinking about, oh my, how are we going to do Christmas? (laughs) You know, there's grandpa and grandma or mom and dad or stepmom, stepdad and all these other things. And there's like family all over the place. And then there's our little family. And somehow we got to tie it all together and try to keep people happy, but not drive ourselves crazy in the process. Amen. So somehow as you grow into this marriage thing, kids, you may think this is no big deal, but it really is. It's not just, okay, I left mom and dad. Now I do whatever I want. It's like, oh wait, I got mom and dad. And all of a sudden there's Perhaps my wife or my husband and then there's family and their extended family and they want to see us and their brothers and their sisters and their aunts and their cousins and they live here and they live there. And you're like, ah, how do I do this? At some point, you have to form your own family nucleus and you come together and you establish these new norms and these other things begin to circulate around that. You leave and you cleave. That's how God starts it. That's how God designs it. That's how it works with marriage, the original family institution. Now, interestingly enough, that picture is the same way that God himself describes the way in which you will love him. It's the exact same. And so what he does in the children of Israel in the Old Testament I promise you I'm getting to Ecclesiastes, but let me just explain how this works. In the Old Testament, he uses the same word, cleave, in Deuteronomy chapter 13. So here's here's a couple verses to write down. I'll have some more up on the screen in a minute. But if you're writing down verses, Genesis 2.24 and Deuteronomy 13. Okay, Genesis 2.24 and Deuteronomy 13. And what happens is, is, is the people of Israel, God is reaching out to them and he's wooing them. And he's saying to them, you have to leave those other gods and cleave to me. You have to leave your old ways and begin something new. There has to be a new commitment, a first love. Have you heard that term in the New Testament? 
a new commitment, a first love, the one you are primarily bonded to, and everything else is going to circulate around this, but this will be your main thing. You have to leave that other stuff and cleave to me. Deuteronomy 13, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. Keep his commandments, obey his voice, and you shall serve him and cleave or hold fast to him. We glance right over that because we're like doers and we're like commandments. Yeah, tell us what to do. Don't forget, you got to cleave, hold on to, love, put him at the center. That's why our vision and mission says, you know, one step closer, enjoy God. I mean, love him, leave and cleave. Okay, so that's a picture of marriage. And that's a picture of our relationship with God as people. And I think that's what's happening here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 as well. That God is telling us to leave and cleave. To leave and cleave. Now, what I'm going to say in this passage. So we said marriage and we said God. In this passage, what we're going to say is this. That we are going to leave the unknowns to God And cleave to what we have. Leave the unknowns to God and cleave to what we have. How do we walk in wisdom? How do we work in this world where nothing makes sense at all? Where the good die young and the people who party like crazy grow old and get rich and fat. How does that work? The author of Ecclesiastes, you know, he pulls no punches. He goes straight at it. I mean, it's like that bumper sticker that says, you know, eat well, exercise, and still you die. (laughs) Merry Christmas. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 9. There's a big section in the middle, and it's actually, some commentators call it the same event, or the thing that happens to us all. It doesn't matter who you are, how rich you are, how big you are, how important you think you are, you will die. All of us experience the same event. It's a great leveler and it does not matter. We all die. Ecclesiastes does not want you to lose sight of that. And some people read this book and they're like, man, what a downer. Such an Eeyore. What a negative perspective. But it's true. And it's not just negative for the sake of being negative. It's for the sake of preparing you for the inevitable. And it works through in this sense. I would never call him the Eeyore. Never, ever, ever. I would call him your best friend. Never call him the Eeyore. Why? Because what he's doing is teaching you the faith outlook. This sermon is entitled The Faith Outlook. Today we lit the faith candle. It's all about faith. If bad things happen to good people, if we all die, if everything we pursue seems to be meaningless, what hope is there? The only hope is faith. All there is is faith. Everything else perishes and fades away. The grass withers. Flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains the same. All there is is faith. 
And he wants to point this out through this experiment. Remember at the beginning of the series, there's an experiment. And he's going to go after sex. And he's going to go after money. He's going to go after pleasure. He's going to go after food. He's going to go after wisdom. He's going to pursue everything and find that every single one of them ends the same way. In vanity. In vapor. In meaningless myths. But there is something that remains. There is something that holds fast. There is something that will endure. What is it? Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you have a Bible, feel free to follow along as we work through this. And uh, we'll look at verse 1. I'll read all the way down through verse 12. And we'll go back through and explore the two concepts of leave and cleave. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, just follow along. It's up on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It says this, but all this I laid to heart examining it all, remember the science experiment, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean And the unclean to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is a sinner. As he who swears is and he who shuns an oath. And this is evil. It's evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to us all. Also, even worse, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live and they... After that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, to which we all are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, And like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So leave and cleave. How does that work, Pastor Jeremy? Let me show you. 
believe it or not, there's a lot that goes into this. And oftentimes I don't, you know, reveal my cards and show you everything that's going on backstage. There's no way to do it all. I never actually get to the sermon. But I want to show you something this morning because I think it's just impossible to understand unless I do. And what it is, is this. There's a, a very complex and beautiful structure going on in this passage, okay? And in essence, it looks like this. All right, so it's, it's not exactly this, and I would love to get it perfectly like what's called a chiasm, but don't worry about that, and just see it like this, A-B-B-A, A-B-B-A, like BB-8 or something, I don't know, A-B-B-A, and what happens is, in verse 1, you have this concept brought out where he says, everything is in the hand of Of God. Everything is in the hand of God. That's in verse 1. And then in verse 2. All the way down to verse 6. You have the same event. That happens to us all. So same event. And we know what that is. That's death. I can't talk and write at the same time. By the way. Alright. So everything is in the hand of God. Then there's the same event. That happens to us all. Then subsequent to that, because of the fact that everything is in the hand of God, and the same event happens to us all, there's going to be some commands or some moral imperatives or things we should do. The way we should live our life as a result. Like, here are the outcomes. Here are the implications. Here's the applications. Because everything's in the hand of God, because we all die, therefore, go do this. Therefore, go do this, all right? And then, after that, he comes back around to the same thing he started with, that basically everything's in the hand of God. Because look, the race is not to the swift, the battle's not to the strong, the bread's not to the wise, man doesn't know what's going to happen to him. I mean, in the end, at the end of the day, we have no idea We don't know. There's mystery. There's chance. There's inevitable things that happen. Everything is. Again in the hand of God. So in essence the structure of this passage. Kind of breaks down like this. At the start and the finish. There's a hand of God encompassing or holding everything and in the middle what you have is the same event this is what he's exploring or working himself through is death this great equalizer and because everything's in god's hand there's so much randomness therefore do this leave and cleave leave and cleave now how does that work pastor jeremy let me show you again ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 17 Reminds us there's great mystery. It says over and over again. I think there's a slide here. That we saw that all the work of God. We can't find it out. There's the work done under the sun. How much man may toil. He can't find it out. Even though he claims to know. He can't find it out. There's a lot of things. In other words. We can't find out. <laughs> Would you agree with me. That life has some mystery. Are we that far. Have we established that life has things we don't understand. I mean, look, 
the, there's so many things that we don't understand, but the Bible lays out some pretty specific examples of outcomes that seem to be, and from our perspective, determined by chance. Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast, or you could say the dice are rolled, but every decision is from the Lord. What about warfare? If you're a student of history, you know that there are great armies and there are small armies, and most of the time the big guy wins, but sometimes he doesn't. Because strange things happen, and all of a sudden the little guy comes out on top. The reality is that the horse is made ready for battle. We have the responsibility to prepare for things, to be wise, to plan. But at the end of the day, the victory belongs to the Lord. So too with your wealth and in your investments and your livelihood and your work and all the things that you're trying to do to provide for your family. I mean, chapter 9, verse 11 says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. How many of us would have predicted two years ago where we'd be today? I had no idea, no idea what things would be like whatsoever. I think about some of the implications and how certain business models, without having any forethought to COVID-19 whatsoever, were perfectly set up. And man, did they make a lot of money. (laughs) For example, Zoom, right? Who had heard of Zoom three years ago? (laughs) But here's this little strange company that's trying this video thing. And now all of a sudden they are huge. Meanwhile, there's a mom and pop place who have a great customer base and are known for their service. And they know your order as soon as you walk in the door. But all of a sudden the door is closed and you can't walk in. And mom and pop got nowhere to go and they're about done. And they don't want to try to do all things different all of a sudden overnight. And so they're done. And that business is gone. Time and chance have happened to them all. Some people could adapt. Some people couldn't. And the drive through is doing awesome. You're seeing people wait 45 minutes to an hour for a cup of coffee. <laughs> Driving around the whole building. And the dining places are closed. What happened? Well, I don't know. Time and chance happened to them all. There's life and death. And again, it seems so arbitrary. Verse 12, man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. We all have examples of people who have gone before their time and it is heartbreaking. So the children of man are snared in evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Everything at the end of the day. Ecclesiastes is right. Verse 1, the way this thing starts and ends. In chapter 9, verse 1, it's that the righteous and the wise, their deeds are where? Everything. It's in the hands of God. So where does that leave us? What about when bad things happen to good people? Well, it's in God's hands. Should we be mad at God? That stinker? He didn't do what he th- we thought he should do. That's not what I wanted for Christmas. Either he doesn't love me or he doesn't care or he's not strong enough to do anything about it. But that's not the faith outlook. Philip Riken, the current president of Wheaton University, whose dad is uh, Leland Riken, a great uh, 
interpreter of scripture, says this. Some people expect to have all the answers. And when they fail to find them, they get angry with God about what is happening or not happening in their lives. It's impossible to know for certain what God is doing in the world. If anyone tries to tell us any different, if anyone claims to have figured out or to have unlocked the secret plans of God, he is only telling you a lie. There is mystery. There is unknown. Left but to the infinite wisdom of Almighty God. It reminds me a little bit of uh, not this very somber moment. Transition to the Princess Bride. You know, it's like when um, what's his name says to Buttercup, "Hey, look, if life is what, and if anyone tells you any differently, they're just selling you something." Exactly right. I mean, come on, there. You know, the commercial's telling you your life is going to be perfect. No. There is trouble. There is uncertainty. There's time. There's chance. There's unpredictability. And life is hard. Life is hard. So what do we do with that? Do we lean in and try to figure it all out? Do we shake our fist at God and say, you don't care? Or do we just step back and say, I, I surrender. You're God. I'm not. I don't know. I'll leave it to you. That's what Ecclesiastes wants us to do. To say there's simply mysteries out there, Job, that we don't understand. There's things going on that are beyond the realm of human comprehension. And at that point, At some point, you have to say, Lord, you are the creator. I'm the creature. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Because you're God and I'm not. Leave those other things behind. Those moments you want to fight with God and shake your fist and claim he's wrong and you're right and we know better and this and that even though it hurts, even though it seems unfair, even though it doesn't make sense, leave it. Leave. You're not part of that anymore. You've been adopted into the family of God and you have to cleave to him. Leave that other stuff behind. Those things are best left in the hands of God. Number one is leave. And let me ask you this question. How are you doing with that? Have you accepted the mystery? Perhaps there's things you'd want to go back and change or do differently if you could. There are things that happen that you don't understand or have even the slightest idea why. Leave it in the hands of God. Leave. 
Paul in the New Testament says the exact same thing. In Philippians chapter C, 3, he says, I press on towards the goal of the high calling in Christ Jesus, forgetting that which is behind. He purposely does it. The New Testament it walks out this idea. It says, die to self. Get rid of the old stuff. It's die to self. It's forget what's behind. It's leave and cleave all the way through. Your new high calling leaves that other stuff behind. Leave and cleave. How are you doing with leaving? Not leaving your wife, not leaving the things you should cleave to. But the bad stuff, leave it. Number one, leave. Number two, cleave. Number two, cleave. Look, we're at a pretty downer spot in the sermon. And I recognize that. So how do we respond? I think about my dad who in growing up, when I, I remember him, he was like a second career doctor. His first career was in teaching. His second career was in uh, medicine. And so going back to medical school, I'm in elementary school. And I see my dad during his residency working as a night security guard at the Ramada end and serving as the lay youth pastor in our church and sitting with my mom on the porch in Minnesota at night so he could talk to her away from us. That was funny. I don't know. I don't think he slept and I don't know how he did it. And I'm asking myself, how can the man who has a PhD in Ecclesiastes and seeing that there's so much time and chance and that vanity happens to everyone work so hard that makes no sense at all why would you work so stinking hard if it all is for naught one of the quotes that he left in his notes that i have is this he says the proper response to life's limitations is not sulking have you accepted the limitations but an energetic involvement in one's present task. Yes, we're limited. Yes, I'm not the smartest guy. Yes, I'm not the toughest guy. Yes, I'm not the richest guy. Yes, I'm not the best looking guy. Yes, I'm not this, I'm not that. But what do I do? I leave and cleave. Again, back to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. It says this, go. Here's the imperative. Here's the command of this chapter. If you're looking for the application, look at the imperatives, the things the Bible tells you to do. Not the things that it describes, but what it prescribes, what it tells you to do. And it says, this is your command. Go. This was the original Great Commission. This was the go before the go. (laughs) Go. Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. Enjoy life with the one you love. Because that is your portion. Here's what you've been given. There are limitations. You may look over to the other side of the fence and say, well, that looks good. It's not yours. Stick to yours. We tell our kids this all the time. We cut the pie and we try to measure it out and it's never even. No slice ever is. It is never even. And ladies and gentlemen, your slice is not even and my slice is not even. I have more of one thing and less of another and so do you. And every time we're looking at the other plate, we're never going to be happy. 
But if you really want to be happy, you accept your slice from the hand of a sovereign God who gave it to you. And you say, boy, this is good. I'm going to eat it up. I'm limited. I can't eat this or I can't eat that. But I can eat this. Leave that other stuff and cleave to what you have. I'll give you a very practical example. One way the Lord's teaching me this lately. And let me just say at the start and then we'll come back to it. Sometimes, you know, it's painful. The Lord wants to help us with this. So there's things that we love and we cling to and we won't give away. And the Lord comes by and graciously rips them out of our hand and throws them into the trash. And we go, I wanted that. I love that. Give it back. You're so mean. Why would you do that if you love me? I like that. Lord says, you are not supposed to cling to that. You're supposed to cling to me. The psalmist says that God says, I am your portion. I am your reward. Here's my example. Uh, you probably know our family has various allergies. You ne- Here's a hint. You never want to invite us over to eat. <laughs> like, unless you're ready to just scratch your head for a couple hours, <laughs> it's going to be tricky. We're all different. We're all messed up. My gut has gone back and forth in lots of ways. And everybody sends me a magic potion. None of them have worked. <laughs> but the last two years, what's happened, you're never going to believe this. On a beautiful, cold, snowy Michigan day, I tested allergic to coffee. Yeah. Yeah, it's that bad. <laughs> it is that bad. I mean, the first test a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, come on. No, no, this is like, you know, the, the plus or minus error margin. This last year, yeah, it, it, it's real. I'm allergic to coffee and this. And I thought, okay, I'm going to deal with this, Lord. I'm going to accept this. I'm going to drink tea. Guess what? Oh, yeah. I tested allergic to tea, too. Like, no wonder my tummy hurts when I go out to eat or drink coffee. Hey, want to meet for coffee? Not anymore. (laughs) No, I'll meet you for coffee. But what I learned this morning, and I promise you, this very morning was the first time I have ever done this in my entire life. Ready? I drank hot water. I was like, oh, oh, here we go. It tastes like nothing. What am I going to do? Lord, really? He stripped those things away and I drank the hot water. And you know what? It tasted good. It's like, oh, you know, maybe that was a fluke. That is not so bad. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can survive Michigan winters without coffee or tea. It's possible. God has graciously ripped something away from me that I truly enjoyed and used to consume all the time for my good. I think I'll be better off not pouring like infinite amounts of sugar into my coffee every day and drinking it. I know I will be better for drinking water. It would have never have come if he didn't take that other thing away. Never, ever, ever. But he took it away. 
And now here I am. And what do I have to do? I have to leave the coffee and cleave to the water. Drink it up. I can find my caffeine in other ways. There's lots of good caffeine out there. Leave and cleave. Now look, we have a fun time with that. And I want to have fun time with it. But I promise you, I know there's harder things than that. There are a lot harder things than that. There's people. People that we loved. And this year might remind us that God took some of them away. And that hurts. And there's no explanation or reason. It doesn't make sense. And we don't get it. We have to leave it. And cleave to God as our lover and fulfillment and joy and great reward. Leave and cleave. Look, this is your portion. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 7 again. It says, go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. Enjoy your life with a wife whom you love. Why? Because we're all going to be miserable and die and might as well do it anyways. No, that is the wrong interpretation of Ecclesiastes. The reason you do this is not for the pessimist. It is not for the hedonist, but it is for the person of faith who believes that that is our portion in life. That there is a sovereign God who chose this for us. And as a result, even though we don't understand it, we accept it from his hand. It's our portion. We can't insult him and swipe it off the table and throw it onto the floor. That's what little babies do. We have to receive it. And accept, here's another quote. I think here's a slide. Accept what comes from the hand of God rather than striving with and struggling against it. We have to leave and cleave. And what that means is when you do that, believe it or not, then life is a joy. That's when life actually becomes fun. When you're like, okay, cool, I don't have that, I don't have this, I can't do this, I can't do that, but I have this, and boy, am I going to enjoy it. This is going to be good. We're going to make the most of it because this is what he's given, and he wants you to enjoy it. God made pleasure. God is the God of all pleasures. He wants, he, now don't hear me wrong, but I mean this in the right way, not in the wrong way. He wants you to have the most pleasurable life possible. Why? Because that's a preparation for the afterlife. What do you think heaven is? It's the best experience you could ever imagine. Not with all those things that you shouldn't have, but that which you should. Pleasure on earth prepares us for pleasure in heaven. When we get to heaven, we're like, wow, I think I experienced that once. I remember that when I left those other things behind. I was so focused on Jesus. I had more joy than I could ever imagine. This is kind of like that, only better. Leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. Now, I'm almost done. I know this is probably long, but I don't even know how long it is because I forgot to hit start on my watch. So I'm almost done. I'm sorry. But there are three things. There are three things that this passage tells you to enjoy as your portion. 
and it was made for the internet age because those three things are www. <laughs> www. Wife. Work. And wine. Here are the three examples given in this passage. And some of you might be scratching your head saying, well, <laughs> look, they're, they're, they're specifics, but they represent categories. So wife could be your spouse, your husband, the one whom you love. Your work is whatever it is that God's called you to do, not just being at Dow or whatever the companies are in Midland now. But your work, <laughs> wherever you're at, even if you don't work for one of the big three, even if you're at home, Whatever it is that God's called you to do, that is for you to enjoy. And your wine, your celebrations, your feast, the good things that God gives you, enjoy them. Your work, your wife, and your wine. You can find those in verses 7 through 10 if you want to go back. This is the B2 part. Go enjoy. So there's the same event happens to us all. What do we do? We leave it to God. We cleave to him. And when we do, that leads to joy. That leads to joy. Because God says, here's this. Here's your work. Do you enjoy it? Here's your, well, no, I'd rather have this job. You haven't accepted your portion. Here's your spouse. Do you enjoy them? Well, no. Then you're not accepting from the hand of God. You're rejecting his gift and you're not enjoying it. Well, here's your food. Here's what you can eat. You can't eat coffee anymore. You have to drink water. Do you enjoy it? Okay. Your wife, your work, and your wine, they're all in verses 7 through 10. And it's an example, not to say that we are hedonists or pleasure seekers, but say we are people of faith who accepts what the Lord gives. And when he gives it, it's good. And when he gives it, and it's good, We enjoy it. We enjoy it to the fullest. So go. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your husband. Enjoy your job. And enjoy your wine. Because the Lord has given it to you. And it's good. The faith outlook of Ecclesiastes teaches this. To leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. Leave the unknowns to God. And cleave to what you have. Leave the unknowns to God. And cleave to what you have. Genesis 2.24. Deuteronomy 13. Philippians 3. It's all over the point place. But the point is this. The Bible moves us in the direction. Of leaving that old life behind. And pursuing those things that are ahead. To leave and cleave. Father we thank you and praise you for today. Thank you for the good people you brought here. Thank you for your word which is true. Lord, help us to leave and cleave. Lord, help us to leave the old life, the old self behind and cleave to what is new. Thank you for Christ who died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we could do that too. In his name we pray, amen.